Okay, before we begin and preach from that passage, I want to say just one quick word, and he would not appreciate me doing this and drawing attention to him, but Winston is here, and so I want to thank God for that, and I'll apologize to him later. Um, yes. I want to read you just one verse. Um, while we were praying for him during those weeks, I remember reading this, and I just want to read it as thanksgiving to the Lord. This is Psalm 116. It says these words, The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Amen. Let me pray, and then we'll preach through this passage we read together. Father, please seal in our heart the goodness of God, and the faithfulness of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God, let those things be right at the top of our hearts, especially when we come to a hard passage, so that we might know who it is that's speaking to us, that we might not with the same mouth praise you and curse you, but that we might trust you when you walk us through uh, good seasons and dark ones. Give us ears to hear what you have for us from your word today on, on this topic of marriage and divorce and remarriage. We pray that we would submit to Jesus Christ and trust that that's where life is found, life to the fullest. Come, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> There's a stretch of highway very well known in Utah called I-70. And if you ever come to I-70, the first thing you should do is check your gas gauge. And the reason is because I-70 is the longest stretch of highway in the United States where there are no services. There's no bathrooms, no towns on the side of the road, no exits, no rest stops. In fact, once you get on I-70, there is no legal way to turn around. For 106 miles, this road stretches with no way out. And the people who have traveled the road would tell you that sometimes the scenery is breathtaking and beautiful, and other times it's perhaps dark and dreary. But here it is. Once you get on, you don't get off. I think Jesus would have described marriage like getting on I-70, right? I think it'd be realistic for a Christian minister who believes in the teachings of Jesus to stand up on a wedding day and say, Dearly beloved, we are gathered to join this man and this woman in holy matrimony and to see how much pain and damage they can cause each other from this day onward, right? I think that'd be a realistic thing to say. The minister might go on to say, now don't get me wrong, Sometimes this road will be breathtaking and beautiful. Sometimes the scenery along the way will, will just thrill you. He might go on to say, there are joys in marriage, and lots of them. So don't get me wrong. There's love, and there's laughter. There's intimacy and friendship. There's sex. There's children, the potential of grandchildren. There's just the overwhelming reality that this one person knows you flaws and all and is with you through it all. It's an incredible scene. In fact, one person rightly said there's a, there's a power to marriage. And if you're married, you know that power. The, the power to marriage is you could have everything in your world falling apart. 
Work could be stressful. Your career could be not advancing. Everybody could think the worst of you. And yet, if home is right, you can make it. Right? Everybody could think the worst of you, that you could not have enough money to survive. And yet, if at home there's this joy and this love and you're in this together, no matter what life brings you, you can make it. That's the power that's in marriage. But that minister might go on to say, and yet sometimes this road you're about to travel down will be dark and dreary. There will be toilet seats left up and weird smells you didn't know was coming. There will be babies and diapers and in-laws. They'll be deciding where you're going to go for Christmas and who's hosting Thanksgiving. There will be bills to pay and never enough money to pay them. There'll be misunderstandings and disagreements and conflicts. There will be shouting and slammed doors and clenched jaws. There will be hurtful words. Marriage has a great power to it because the inverse is true also. And the inverse is... Everything could be going right in your world. Everything could be going right at work. You could be advancing in your career. Everybody could think you're awesome, and yet if your home is falling apart, you're dying on the inside. That's the power of this marriage thing. Everybody in your life could think you are the greatest thing, and if home is not right, then you're dying on the inside. The power that this one person has in your life, that's the intrinsic power of marriage. And the minister might go on to say, but here's the thing. Come what may, though the scenery can be breathtaking and beautiful, or if you get to a scenery where the, 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 the scene is dark and dreary, you are getting on I-70 now. And there are no exit ramps. You're on I-70 now, and there are no exit ramps. I think that's especially what Jesus wants us to understand about marriage in the passage we're looking at today. So if you've got a Bible, we're in Mark chapter 10. This is the passage that Pastor Binu just read for us. We're in the first 12 verses, and if you've been with us, you know we're just working our way through the gospel according to Mark. We're reading each chapter and each story and each verse. We're looking at Jesus and listening to Jesus and learning from Jesus and loving Jesus. And this morning, the passage God had, has for us is Mark 10, 1 to 12. And today, Jesus is going to tell us something about the very nature of marriage. And if we'll listen, he's going to tell us that God designed marriage to be permanent. That God designed marriage to be permanent. Now, I want to say from the beginning itself, for a number of reasons, this may be particularly hard for us to hear today. For a number of reasons, this may be particularly hard for some of us, for all of us. For some of us, it'll be hard to hear because at some point in your own story, Perhaps you stood in front of a minister and across from someone, and perhaps you said the words, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part, and yet your story hasn't worked out that way. If that's you, I want you to know my heart goes out to you this morning. I have prayed specifically for you and how you hear these words from Jesus this morning. Maybe you're here and your spouse broke those vows and walked out on you. Or maybe you broke those vows and walked on them. Maybe it's not particularly connected to your story. Maybe it's something that happened in your parents' story. But whatever it may be, for some of us, just the word divorce itself feels like our heart is being cut afresh and anew. And someone is, through this passage, picking at a scab that hasn't fully healed yet. 
I, I want you to hear. And in fact, I don't even want to wait to the end of the sermon for you to hear. I want you to hear right from the start, Jesus Christ is not here to condemn you this morning. Jesus Christ came into the world, and he came into the world because there's sin, because there's brokenness, because there's divorce, and his loud shout into the world is, I did not come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. And I want you to hear that the same Jesus who's speaking these words in Mark 10 is the one you read throughout the gospel story, is the one, for example, who sat with a woman by a well in the town of Samaria. And he had this long conversation with her. And he invited her into the things of God. He invited her to drink of himself. He invited her into a relationship with himself, all the while knowing that she had been married not once and not twice, but five times. And that she was currently living with a man who wasn't her husband either. And still the Lord Jesus didn't condemn her, but invited her to himself and sent her out even on his ministry. That's the Lord Jesus who is speaking these words in Mark 10. So I want you to hear, if these words are hard, one test of whether you're a disciple of Jesus or not is what do you do when Jesus says hard words? It happens. In John 6, there's this scene where Jesus says some hard words and a whole bunch of disciples bounce. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says to them, are you going to leave me also? And they say to him, where should we go? You have the words of life. And so I want you to hear, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you need to ask God, even at the start of this, to give you grace to believe that if this word is hard, then it's hard in the way that a surgeon's scalpel is hard. That he wounds you not to hurt or harm you, but to heal and help you. For some of us, this word from Jesus could be hard because we are married. And yet, if we're honest, if someone had access to our thoughts, what they'd see is that we've been daydreaming about getting off I-70 a lot lately. If someone had access to our thoughts, maybe they'd find that you've been looking for an exit ramp. You're convinced that if you could just get out, then life would be so much better. And you've been telling yourself this narrative over and over again. Maybe this past week, maybe this past month, maybe in this past season of your marriage, you have thought or even uttered the words, I, I don't think this is going to work. I think we're going to have to get a divorce. And if that's you this morning, if you're struggling in marriage, I want you to hear, if nothing else, you're not alone here at Seven Mile Road. In fact, I tell you, pull up a chair next to almost any couple. Pull up a chair next to Shainu and myself, and we'd be able to swap stories about the dark nights of marriage. We'd be able to swap stories about what it's like to stare in a mirror and wonder, did I make a mistake? Is this, is this with this person ever going to work? Maybe you're starting to say the words, you just don't know what it's like to live with this person. And maybe you're at the point where you can't take it one more, you can't go through one more fight, not one more round of this, you're tired and done. I'm telling you, let's swap stories, let's hear, because you are not alone in this. Perhaps you would know with us what it's like to sit in a counselor's chair for the umpteenth time, knowing that with the money you've spent for marriage counseling, you could be in Bora Bora by now. And yet you keep shelling out these dollars, trusting, and all the while wondering, if a professional can't fix us, what hope do we possibly have? I, I want you to hear that if Jesus' words this morning feel for you inconvenient, they're not. Instead, they're providential. They're perfectly timed by a good God who intends to this morning wake you up out of your stupor. 
You might be falling asleep at the wheel, and so he wants to shine a bright light in your eyes and say, you are dangerously close to driving off into destruction. It's in love for you he has prepared this meal for this morning for your soul. If you're single, maybe you hear these words and you conclude like the disciples did. After they heard Jesus' teachings, they said, maybe it's better that nobody get married, right? For all of us, maybe it doesn't apply to you. Maybe you're happy in this season, but your mind will immediately begin to think of, what does this mean for my friend or my relative or my brother or my sister? For all of us, I want you to hear, these words are hard because Jesus' words here will sound so foreign to us. They're not like the world we live in, the air we breathe, the way the culture we live in operates. This week, you will not be able to go out of the checkout line at the grocery store without a magazine cover telling you the latest Hollywood couple that has just broken up. And when you see that magazine cover, nobody falls on their knees and goes, oh my goodness, I never saw that coming. If anything, you're surprised by how long it lasted rather than how quickly it dissolved, right? If you hear of a Hollywood couple that lasts 10 years or 20 years, we all think to ourselves, they must really be in love. That's the culture we live in. We live in a world where people have, we have, dug out exit ramps off I-70 everywhere. And so Jesus' words will feel like they are out of this world. And I want you to hear, that's because they are. They are out of this world. That's because the vision for marriage didn't originate with us. It did come from out of this world. And if we're going to need to know what that vision is, we need to hear what Jesus says this morning. Well, this whole thing happens because Mark 10, 1 tells us that some Pharisees came to Jesus in verse 2. Mark 10, 1, if you've got a Bible, you can open it there. What happens is Jesus has gone off out beyond the Jordan, and as was his custom, some crowds come and he begins to teach them. Verse 2 tells us that while he was teaching them, Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? That's the question. In order to test him, they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, don't miss why the Pharisees are asking Jesus this question. Mark tells us he asked them, they asked him in order to test him, meaning... Mark wants you to know this is not a sincere question. This is not a genuine inquiry. This isn't coming from a posture of Jesus. Listen, we want to order our lives according to God's will to glorify him. So please tell us what we should think about marriage. This isn't coming from a posture of Jesus. Please help us. We want to make sure we're counseling the people in our congregation rightly, that we're managing these things well. Please tell us so that we can order our flock and society in a way that everybody can flourish. This isn't coming from Jesus. We've got some particular people who are hurting with some specific scenarios. We want to know how to advise them and counsel them. It's not that. Instead, Mark tells us this question is a chess move. This is a carefully crafted, calculated question. Whether what they are hoping for is for Jesus to stand on, to step onto a theological and cultural landmine, and if they're lucky, get blown up. That's what they're asking him for. And so they ask him, in order to test him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now what you need to know in the background is, the question about marriage was every bit as controversial in Jesus' day as it is in ours. And so there was this thinking in that day that there was sort of this widespread agreement within Jewish thought 
within Jewish law, within Judaism, that you could get a divorce. Divorce was permissible. But where they argued was, for what reason could you get a divorce? And at that, there were sort of two schools of thought. There was sort of a conservative side, and the rabbis in that would have taught divorce is permissible, it's legitimate, it's lawful, only if there's been some kind of indecency, only if there's been sexual immorality, perhaps adultery. Only in that scenario could divorce be lawful and legitimate. That's one side. The Pharisees actually found themselves on the other school of thought. The other side, which basically argued that divorce was permissible for many reasons. In fact, they would say, for any reason. They're coming from a more liberal side of this that would have said divorce is possible for any reason whatsoever. In fact, if you read back to some of those ancient rabbis, they literally would teach. They would literally teach, if your wife disrespects you, then a husband could divorce her. It was always initiated by a man. A woman couldn't get a divorce. A man could in that society. If she disrespected you, divorce her. She spoke out against your mother, divorce her. You, you like your steaks medium rare. She keeps making it well done, divorce her. She roots for the cowboys or likes country music, divorce her. You're not attracted to her anymore. You fancy someone else. You just have fallen out of love. You know exactly what to do. There's the exit ramp off I-70. You can divorce her. So that's the school of thought they're coming from. And so they come to Jesus and they say, okay, Jesus, which stance do you take? What school do you prescribe to? What rabbi do you follow? Now, I want you to hear, in their mind, this question is perfect. It's a win-win, can't lose, we got Jesus no matter what. Either way he goes on this, we got him. You know why? As I was trying to think about it from their minds, if they agree, if Jesus agrees with him, if he takes the liberal side, then they're going to get to hear Jesus say the three words they've been dying throughout Mark to hear. You are right. Do you know how satisfying it's going to be for these Pharisees to hear Jesus say, you're right. The, the way that you see it is the right way. Do you, do you know how satisfying it will be for Jesus to have to come under their system, to listen to their interpretation, to put on their team jersey and say, guys, I'm on your side on this one. That would be the most thrilling thing in the world. Now, they probably know that's never going to happen. Jesus is never on their side. But here, even if he goes the other way on this, remember where they're asking this question. They're out beyond the Jordan. That's Herod's backyard. The last time somebody was in Herod's backyard talking about marriage and divorce and remarriage and the sin of it all was Jesus' cousin John. And when John the Baptist had the audacity in Herod's backyard to talk about the sin of marriage or remarriage or divorce, Herod cut his head off. And the Pharisees are hoping, even if he goes that way, then we're hoping if we get lucky, what happened to one cousin will happen to the other as well. This is a perfect win-win. We cannot lose. We got him. So in order to test him, they say, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife. Jesus responds, verse 3, he answered them, what did Moses command you? Now in that you should just hear this. 
They're asking Jesus, what school of thought are you a part of? What rabbi do you subscribe to? And if you remember way back in the very first chapters of Mark, one of the things that amazed people about Jesus was literally the words, and they were astonished at him because he did not teach as the scribes. He spoke as one who had authority and not as the scribes did. When the scribes gave a teaching, they always quoted Rabbi so-and-so and the interpretation of this teacher or that one. Jesus never did that. Jesus never speculated based on the interpretations of men. He came to declare based on the words of God. And so here, Jesus is not going to subscribe to this school or that, this rabbi or the other one. He takes them back and says, tell me, what does God's word say about this? What did Moses command you? Verse 4, they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. So they go, okay, you want to talk about the Bible? They grab their Bible, and what they do is they turn it back to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Now, for the sake of time, I won't read you, but in the first four verses of Deuteronomy 24, you can note that down, you can read it later, there's these laws given, and the law basically says this. If I were to summarize it, the law was if a man was going to divorce his wife, he had to have a reason of some kind of indecency in her, probably something with sexual immorality, and then he had to write a certificate of divorce and give it to her. And then if she went out and got remarried, and then say that second husband divorced her and gave her a certificate as well, the first husband couldn't go back and remarry her again. That's the basic gist of the law. Now, why was this law given? What's the background to that? It's a lot of words in Deuteronomy 24, but here's the basic gist of it. You lived in that day in a male-dominated society where, remember, a man could divorce his wife for any reason, for many reasons. And essentially, back then, one pastor said it's almost as if a husband could just walk up to his wife and say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and she's out. Now, if she's out, back in that day, where's she supposed to go? And what's she supposed to do? This is the Bronze Age. This is not the day of the independent career woman who's now going to blaze her own trail and provide for herself. In the Bronze Age, you get kicked out of your husband's house. Where do you go? What do you do? What you have waiting for you is a life of poverty at best, prostitution at worst. You have no out. Moreover, you can't go to another man and ask him to marry you again because how will he know that you're not running around on your husband? And so, in order to protect women in that day, a concession was given in the law. And I want you to hear that. Deuteronomy 24 is not God's intention, but is God's concession. In light of the fact that we live in a broken, sinful world, with broken, sinful men, God gave this concession he gives this concession so that a few things would happen. He wants to make sure that if a man is going to do this, he can't just do it. He's got to have a reason. That's one. He also wants to make sure that he's got to write out a certificate and give it to this woman so that when she goes out and if she seeks to be remarried, she can say to the next man, I'm not running around. I'm not playing a harlot. Here's the certificate. I was kicked out. I was kicked out. That's why I'm here. And moreover, this was supposed to help a man realize, listen, I can't just walk in and out of marriage whenever I feel. This was prohibiting him from remarrying that woman. He couldn't go back and say, you know, I changed my mind. I want you back. This was 
severe. This was permanent. This was real. And so it was supposed to remind him, marriage is not this revolving door where I can go in and out as I please. If you read Deuteronomy 24 with a good heart, with a heart for God, you're supposed to see marriage is is not like Alka-Seltzer. You can't just break this thing apart and it just dissolves and goes away. You were supposed to see that God made marriage to be permanent and if in the rare, unfortunate, painful, tragic case where divorce should occur among God's people, it's clear in Deuteronomy 24 that God cares about the divorced person. He's put regulations in place, laws in place to care for them, to mitigate against the circumstances that come about with divorce. And so, though it's not his intention, he has provided certain concessions so as to minimize and protect the one who is vulnerable and in danger through divorce. That's what you're supposed to read. That's what you're supposed to see if you read Deuteronomy 24. But here's how the Pharisees, here's how classic Pharisees read Deuteronomy 24. They came to Jesus and they said, okay, So basically what you're saying is, we need a certificate. Okay, we can do that. We're good at forms. We can can fill out a form. That's all you require. Moses said, we just need a form, and if we fill out the form, we're good. Let me tell you what that'd be like. It'd be like you asking me, what does the law say you're supposed to do at a red light? And me responding back by saying, Well, if an authorized vehicle is behind you, you're allowed to cross the red light. And so let's talk about what makes an authorized vehicle. And then we get into a discussion about police cars are authorized and fire trucks are authorized and ambulances are authorized. And I guess if a police car, policeman commandeers a normal vehicle, that vehicle is also authorized. So I suppose there's many reasons why you could cross red light. Wouldn't you at some point go, whoa, are you really going to answer the basic question of what a red light is designed for? with all the exceptions and technicalities and loopholes of how you can cross a red light. Do you get that you don't see this thing right? Jesus says, what did God's word command you about all this? And they go, he said we needed a certificate. That's all we need. And then we're good. And Jesus Jesus is now going to respond. One second ago, they were high-fiving each other. This is the perfect question. We got him two seconds from now. They're going to probably look at each other and go, who thought of this dumb question? He always does this to us, right? Whenever we think we got him, he flips this on us. And so Jesus begins to answer. Moses told us we just need a certificate. Verse 5, Jesus said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote that commandment. Right? Jesus wants to say, before I say anything else, let me just tell you, that section in Deuteronomy, that, that section was not a reflection of God's intention for marriage. That section is not there to encourage or mandate or sanction or recommend divorce. That section is there because of the hardness of your heart. Because you're sinners and sinful men do what sinful men do. And so that law was given to protect the vulnerable and the weak in divorce. That was given because of the hardness of your heart. And Jesus says, you flipped your Bible open, but you just didn't go back far enough. You can't start this conversation in Deuteronomy 24. I can't start a conversation about the red light in all the ways that I can cross it. And so Jesus says, you got to flip back further. And so in verse 6, he flips back to the opening chapters of the Bible, to the very first pages. And he goes to Genesis and he says, but from the beginning of creation, God 
made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He adds, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. God says, Jesus says, here's what marriage is. You want a conversation on how we can end a marriage. I want to start the conversation on what marriage is and why you ought to keep them together. He says, God designed this thing so that when one man and when one woman come together in marriage as husband and wife, these two now become one. That's the way God designed this thing. So that when one man and one woman come together, he made the male and female, and when these two come together as husband and wife, the two become one. Jesus would say in our day, marriage isn't something you define. It's not decided in a human court. It's not the paper you get from the state legislature. It's not a license that man gives. It's not even two people who stand together and profess to love and commit to each other. Jesus would say, God was there at your wedding day. Whether that was in a church or in a courtroom or wherever it was, when one man and one woman stood together and pledged, on that wedding day and on that wedding night, God was there. And God got involved, and God took these two people, and he made them one. In fact, Jesus is so serious about this, he describes it using the words, one flesh. He made them one body. Meaning that's what marriage is now. These two have been so united as one, they're like right hand and left hand of the same body. They're one flesh now. And what you're talking about when you're talking about Deuteronomy and trying to figure out a loophole is, is, is me saying my right hand is going to go 10 feet in that direction and touch that window. And my left hand is going to go 10 feet in that direction and touch that window. And what would it be like for me to try to have both these hands go in those two directions? It's impossible unless you tear this one body apart. And if you tear this one flesh apart, whatever that destructive, painful, bloodied mess would be is what anyone who's gone through a divorce would tell you divorce is. Divorce is the painful, awful mess of tearing one flesh into two. It's taking what God made two, into one and turning it into two. Jesus is so serious about this that he then talks to his disciples in private. They ask him, could you explain a bit more? And he does. Verse 11. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, we would hear this and we would want to say to Jesus, Jesus, wait, time out. You don't understand the terms. We would want to help Jesus define some terms. We would want to give him the definition of what adultery is. We would say to him, Jesus, adultery is when you're married and you go and sleep with someone else, that's adultery. But how can a divorced person commit adultery? They're not married. right? Why would you talk about adultery with divorce if they're not married anymore? They're divorced. They have a certificate. And Jesus would say to us, though you recognized it, and though the state recognized it, and though you have a piece of paper, what if God didn't recognize it? 
And what if God didn't see that you took what he made one and made it two? What if Jesus is saying to us that a piece of paper doesn't make two what God has made one? Now, before we talk about the exceptions and all the times where you can cross the red light, can you and I hear that at least in this passage, Jesus wants us to be clear that God designed marriage to be permanent? I want you to hear that from my heart, I am so grateful for how you have sat and heard God's word, that you haven't run for the doors. And I want you to hear, now then, having put that in place, is this the only passage in the Bible that talks about marriage and divorce and remarriage? No. And when you read the other passages of the Bible, you get to the places where divorce and remarriage may be permissible. I want you to hear, even in those passages, it's not commanded, it's not required, it's not mandated, but it may be permissible. And Christians who love God and believe the Bible have differed on what some of those exceptions might be. They've differed on what authorizes you to cross the red light, if you will. And, and they've differed on those things in my personal understanding, and that's exactly what I'd present it to you as. In my personal understanding, as I've read through the scriptures, humbly what I'd say to you is, as I see the scriptures, if your spouse dies, then the scriptures clearly say you can get remarried. Right? Romans 7 would suggest that to us. Moreover, there are passages that seem to suggest that if there's been adultery, if there's been infidelity, if one person has been unfaithful to the covenant vows, then there may be the permissibility of divorce. Even there, what I would say to you is the scriptures don't require it, don't mandate it, don't command it, and that God is more than able to reconcile and heal repentant sin. I've seen that, and God could do that for you as well, but here may be an exception. Another one would be in Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians, there's a section where it talks about if you're married to a non-Christian, and the non-Christian walks out on you, then you're freed. You're not bound anymore. They abandon, they desert, then, then also there may be the potential of divorce and remarriage. While many of those things are gray, what I do think is clear is from a text like Deuteronomy 24, what you know is the heart of God. That the heart of God cares for the one that is abandoned. The heart of God cares for the one that's in danger or is abused. The heart of God cares for the one that's cheated on or in, in the victim of adultery. The heart of God ensures that these vulnerable and weak ones are cared for. There may be specifics and nuances to your circumstance that cannot possibly be covered from the pulpit. They're much more appropriately co covered individually and pastorally. But in this passage, the meal that God put on the menu for this morning, what I want you to hear is that while there may be rare and exceptional and heartbreaking and painful instances, after much weeping and much praying where divorce would occur among God's people, at least this passage, Jesus wants to start the conversation with you getting God-designed marriage to be permanent. Now, let me end by saying two things, and then we'll be done. One, what does that mean for you? And two, why is that good news, even if it may not feel like it right now? 
What does that mean for you? Here's what it means. If you're here and you've been through a divorce or going through one right now, I want you to hear maybe the exceptions, those rare cases applied to you, maybe they didn't. If you're here and you're in your second marriage or third marriage, what should you do? You should do what every person who comes to God has to do. You have to first start by saying, you're right. I accept. I embrace your teaching, your way. I'm in. And it's not because my life has reflected that. It's not because my life has exactly lined up with that. But I start by saying, you are right. And what your vision is, is the one that I believe in. You start that way. And I want you to hear. Some of you would say, one preacher said, you know, if your eggs are scrambled, you can't unscramble them anymore. You can't go back and change your state of life. And the scriptures would teach, whatever state of life you find yourself in, when you're presented with God's truth, that's the state you should stay in. And so if you're here this morning, the first place to be is to say, I agree. I agree that God's vision for marriage is this. Even if my life didn't line up with that, and I want you to hear, if you do that, you do what every Christian has ever done. Every Christian comes to God and says, here's your vision for life. I agree, but I didn't live up to it. Here's your standard. Here's your design. Here's how you said life should work. Here's how you said I should live. I agree with all my heart, and I didn't do it. So I agree, and I confess that I didn't, and I say from here, going forward, I want to live as you've told me to live. That's what you should do. And if you ask yourself, where do I as a divorced person stand in this church, I want to just say to you, you stand alongside every other sinner in this church. Every other sinner in this church. It'd be like a sick person going to the waiting room of a hospital and saying, where should sick people sit? And you'd go, sit anywhere. Everybody here is sick. And I want you to hear, Seven Mile Road is a hospital for sick sinners. Everybody here is sick. You wouldn't go into a sick person, into a, a hospital waiting room and be judgmental that somebody's sick. You'd expect everybody to be sick. Everybody here is a broken sinner of various stripes and kinds. So sit anywhere you'd like. The God of all grace is here for us this morning. The Jesus who sat by that woman at the well, though she had been married five times and invited him to her to himself. That Jesus is here this morning. And that's what I want you to hear. If you're here and you're married, what are you supposed to do? Maybe you're in a season that's good. Maybe you're in a season that's hard. What are you supposed to do? I want you to hear. Maybe the most God-glorifying thing you could do today would be to grab the hand of your spouse today at some point and say, we are on I-70, and I am never getting off. I am never looking for an exit ramp. I am never getting out of this thing. Death itself will have to come to part me from you. Maybe that's the most loving thing you can do, and I would tell you, Thanks be to God, there are many in this room that would stand right next to you. Pull up a chair. Pull up a chair. Even if you're struggling, there are other couples who would stand right next to you. Shino and I would tell you, we've been married 11 years. 10 out of those 11 years, we went to counseling here or there, off and on for marriage, just to keep working at this thing. But I can tell you, because of the grace of God, I could look at her and she could look at me and say, we're on I-70. And death itself is going to have to come to part me from you. That's 
the most God-glorifying thing you could do today. And if you're not married, or if you're engaged, or you're single, or you're one of our children, I want you to hear this is the vision for marriage we're passing down to you. God designed this thing to be permanent. So that when God puts you with someone else and makes two one, you go into marriage going, this thing is for life. And what God has joined, I am never pulling apart. Second and last, why is this good news, even if it doesn't feel like it right now? I want you to hear the reason God made marriage so intense, the reason God made it permanent, is because marriage is ultimately what God is to us. Marriage was invented so that God would have language, vocabulary, a picture to describe the relationship that Jesus Christ has with us. Jesus is married to his people. Aren't you glad that that relationship is permanent? Aren't you glad there are no exit ramps in that relationship? Aren't you glad there are no off ramps in that relationship? Jesus Christ married his people. His father found him a bride. That's us. And through his death and by his resurrection, he has married us. And would you think about this? Someone rightly said that means that Jesus has been in the longest bad marriage there ever was. Because he's married to you. And he's married to me. We are the spouse from hell. We are selfish. We are self-centered. We are hard to live with. We are difficult. We do not care about him nearly as much as he cares about us. We are unfaithful. He is constantly finding our hearts in bed with something else. He is constantly finding us going after other lovers. Aren't you glad that Jesus says to us, I will never divorce you? Aren't you glad that he has seen you at your worst? Nothing is hidden from his sight. Naked in every way, he knows you as you are. And he promises, I'm never leaving. There are no off-ramps between me and you. He takes marriage this seriously because it's a picture of his relationship with us. His commitment to you is permanent. There are no off-ramps with him. And if you repent of your past, whatever it may be, of your history, whatever it was, and you trust in Christ, I want you to know God presided over that wedding day also. He took you and Jesus and made you one. And what God has put together, no one will ever be able to tear apart. His marriage to you is permanent. That's good news. And that should help you think through how you should see marriage as well. Let's pray together.